Welcome to this episode of the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct main ideas, and share their insights. Today, I am very happy to be joined by Prashad Joshi, Senior Vice President of Emerging Technologies for Infosys, a global leader in digital services and consulting. Welcome, Prasad. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. This is a discussion we wanted to have for some time because I think you have one of the most interesting roles at Infosys, uh, being in charge of uh, a lot of toys, but, but they're beyond toys, they're the technologies that really shape the future. Before we get into that, we'd love to know, and I think our listeners would too, about your background. What's your journey and, and how did you come to be where you are? Well, first of all, the toys make money. So while, while uh, I, I get the tongue in cheek, it is, it is the toys that make money. And I think that in, in a way sums up uh, my journey over the last 30 plus years that I did start creating toys. Uh, I had a fascination for building these toys. Uh, all over the years, I played in multiple technologies. I grew up as a programmer, architect, uh, expert systems, knowledge-based systems of that time. Uh, were some of my early fascination. Then did some of my work on understanding client mindset and what does it mean to actually do business in technology. Used to manage a PNL and had a kick out of that. But really, I am a technologist at heart. And uh, what comes to me first is how can I apply a certain technology to a given problem statement. And over time, I've seen the evolutions. And uh, in today's world, it's all about digital disruptions, digital transformations, and keeping up with the pace of change that is unprecedented and it's very exciting. I understand that you began your journey in India and more on the technical side. What was it like from that beginning and being more technical as an individual contributor to where you are today? I think I would I would put it across in that manner that I grew up in India and a lot of my technology grooming per se. So if I was to call it as a journey of becoming a sophisticated architect uh, that happened in, in, in that era. It's also the pre-web internet era uh, where I honed in the skills of what it means to be a technologist. That happened in India. And what coming over to U.S. and staying here for the last 20 plus year taught me is how to position that technology, how to position that core strength in a certain context and do better marketing better applicability explanation and then the good old McDonald's scale. How do you put it into something simple, but make it so scalable that it becomes a business by itself? And you've been with Emphasis now about 14 years? That's correct. What have you seen with the company over the of that arc? Certainly a lot of change. Well, what's been the thing that's really stood out? I think Infosys as a brand has always been strong. And, and the journey that I have done with the brand uh, is in many ways the journey of innovation itself, that what we see in the market today, innovation is prime and innovation is front and center. Uh, to sort of look at uh, some of the our own digital surveys and uh, Jeff, your published digital radar and uh, related parts, uh, one of the outstanding facts in that is 85% of our digital leaders indicate innovation is the key lever why the, the digital technologies will make progress. And some of this gets expressed. I mean, this is a simple factoid that I picked up from one of your surveys. But really what we see as uh, we talk to our clients, there is an element of fear factor. When will Amazon come into my business and what will that do to me? There are some leaders who are absolutely excited. For example, our logistics uh, customer who 
talks about changing the game of logistics in very many different ways and and they have actually made the brand impact and changed the market conditions in in that spirit so to me that's the spirit of what innovation does and technology does and what i have seen in the change in the company that as the company grew as the company became front and center leader of its journey so it first initially it was global delivery model and outsourcing then it became business partner in transformation and today it is being partner with your innovation journey i have seen these evolutions and i have had an opportunity to contribute to those go to markets infosys had a name for being a services company what's it like trying to incubate or grow an emerging technologies unit within what is traditionally been a services company i think it's a fascinating journey in the spirit that many people relate to product companies and relate to the innovation Uh, I had an interesting conversation with one of the university leaders. University ecosystem for example in US is driven by the product companies that are in the market, be it a car company, be it a technology platform company, anyone. There are very few services companies that actually innovate with universities. You look at our peer group, you don't see large centers of any kind that are university relationships and I worked with some of our university leaders Cornell comes to my mind for example where we struck a very different relationship pattern as to what does a services company do what is its interaction with clients the amount of visibility we get in running the business and how do we translate that into right research imperatives right research thrust or right technology thrust i think that's the part that has been fascinating part of the journey as part of the services and uh, in many ways people understand that in a product company you invest and then you put a very large percentage of your income in r&d and research in services company that's not quite true uh, to sort of throw some numbers around if you look at microsoft or google like companies 80 85% of budgets go into r&d and then the rest is sgna and and, and the likes uh, in in a company like infosys or some of the other companies you will see a single digit percentage point being what goes as innovation or research budget but at the same time the amplification that these corporations can do through their service delivery is enormous and that brings me to my favorite line we are a capability company we don't manufacture or create or sell many of the products that are in the market but we make each of those products better and that happens because we are a services and a capability company and the diversity that gives me to work on problem statements is simply enormous can you give me an example uh, of something recent where given your amplification capability or ability to do that that you're able to take something that you did for one client or or that you helped them discover and that was able to be amplified i'll take one of the key trends uh, something like augmented reality virtual reality xr on the face of it uh, it's it's a nifty thing people have their fascination about headgears head mounted displays uh, all vendors have created a degree of so on one side google came out with something very lightweight like cardboard on the other side you had people like microsoft coming up with hololens and and a very heavyweight heavy technology gadget with a full laptop around your head uh, and then there are the in betweens but if i just peg something on this technology we set up a strong group that has artistic skills and architectural skills something that is unique to this particular technology trend and then there is a diversity of applications on one side just a few minutes back outside i was setting up a chocolate store 
for one of our clients and I'm showing them that and I actually took their picture in the store. The store doesn't exist. I'm, I'm standing outside uh, the studio as, as we were coming in. Then there is Australian Open-like ex experience where the fan experience has dramatically changed because we were able to put in technologies like virtual reality, 360 broadcast, 360 transmissions. Along comes something like 5G, which offers us an ability to get a very high bandwidth that wherever I am. Now you look at this confluence of technology. So I started with AR, VR. I brought in something like 5G. You add in elements like predictiveness, role, role of AI, and then take an experienced technology like augmented reality. We have been able to create remote support, which looks like FaceTime on uh, iPhones, but it is highly augmented to say that I'm looking at a complex piece of machinery. A technician is standing by the machinery and an expert is standing in, in an expert house. And they're able to interact with each other and do what I do with my mom on a regular basis in FaceTime and help her, but this is highly complex. These are the kind of things you can see that a trend starts in one place, but then it fans out to a retail CPG, it fans out to a manufacturing client, it gestates in itself into a fan experience. And to me, this is really getting interesting as we see these technology trends emerge faster and faster, and the confluence of these trends creating different experiences. Mm -hmm. You refer to just being outside. It's probably worth noting that we're recording this in a, a studio, with a pop-up studio at a major... Uh, executive conference where these things are happening from virtual chocolate and immersive experiences and virtual reality and tennis and there's a motorcycle just outside of our door and there's a lot going on that's physical but a lot of software behind the scenes as well so and if you hear any noise in the background that's that's why as well moving on what are some of the challenges that you've had to face because a lot of the people listening might be trying to set up a technology group or at least thinking about that in their own business or whatever size it is What's it like trying to get the funds and get this going and, and, and nurture it? I think the first and foremost, I would describe it as uh, the biggest mindset that even I had to undergo is I grew up with this thought process of I'm special. I do innovation. I'm the technologist and I need to have my own team. That's the significant change that I have seen and that people have to get used to that it is highly democratized. It's everybody's business to innovate. And today's technology, today's tools, uh, today's simplicity of how you can build things very quickly fosters that process. But we need to adopt that. We need to get to that crowdsourcing capabilities, curate it well so that the crown jewels that come out of it or the scale ideas that come out of it are properly harvested is, is, is crucial. And that's where probably there is a role for the central team, but otherwise it's everybody's business. That's one significant learning or thing that I would advocate. The second thing, if you, if you go to the point where uh, getting money or getting that executive buy-in will always be challenging. There are more naysayers to ideas than yesayers. Uh, that's just the way the game is. And therefore it is important to create an early excitement. It's important to show things and not show PowerPoints, not show videos. Instead, get somebody to feel it. If you know your executive loves coffee, show them a blockchain-based demo that shows how this coffee was sourced. They will buy into it. They'll give you the funding. If you know your executive is a bike rider, bring in an augmented reality capability and show him how his bicycle was made or how he can change it or how he can put more ornaments on that bike and make it more personalized without spending a single dollar, you will see a significant buy-in. So there are ways by which you can excite the executives to release the money. 
money comes money is there in most corporations today but i think these are the two factors that i would say experiment bring the experience and democratize it once again you are listening to the knowledge institute where we talk with experts on business trends deconstruct main ideas and share their insights we're here with prasad joshi senior vice president at infosys prasad there's hear a lot about crossing the chasm and trying to bring technologies to market what's that like managing that part of the cycle and actually thinking about things like a product and not just a service i think the key here is uh, the stages of innovation and the believ- believability that not only the team that is coming up with an idea but others and then putting it in a place where it money can be made on it and and in in my experience we we describe it as sense so so figure out the trends figure out uh, what is likely to hit some of it is taking a punt uh, you don't necessarily have every benchmark ready every fiscal business case made ready to tell you that then we prototype the heck out of it uh, or sort of experiment the heck out of it build a few assets this is the stage where there is very fast cycle of rapid prototyping rapid experimentation culture of innovation the soft facets that need to come in if you try 100 things and only 3 or 5 become successful that's where your next stage is which is the chasm industrialize it what we have seen is if you do many 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 100 to 5 for example as a ratio and then take that 5 to 100% industrialization you're crossing the chasm will give you the bridges that you need to put on that crevice and step forward and get to the next peak i can spend time on creating business case the value justification the market sizing and all that there is there is ton of literature available there but i think it is this belief systems in the innovators mind or innovators dilemma as some people refer to it or crossing the chasm the famous book that we all read uh, it's all about that belief system that i won't quit i'll do it you've also had the unique perspective of looking across geographies india and different parts of asia north america and europe do you see anything emerge especially relative to silicon valley versus other innovation areas and maybe contrast those absolutely i think silicon valley is unique uh, silicon valley is unique in the sense that its history and the sort of environment that it offers i don't know if it's the california sun maybe that's what it is uh, but but there is something unique there is a vibe and that creates a culture whether it is the incubators like the stanford's or sris or the berkleys that are in the area and and what that has created is it the vc ecosystem and and the ability to there for experiment is it the california mindset uh, which which at times created movements like hippies but then it's also the ultra freedom to express what you want to do and create a belief system that i can realize my dream i think that's unique to unique to bay area unique to california and and that silicon valley is is there for the crucible that has created it what i also see is many people have learned from it whether it is that they grew there and they went back so when i go to bangalore i see a somewhat similar vibe in many ways india is a services economy and and a lot of software and technology that created the indian economy strength is based on services companies like us but today when i talk to younger people or the younger entrepreneurs i see the same passion that i see in bay area so there is some cross pollination some best practices in the process i also see that there is a degree of legacy that got created in avenues like bay area which people in china or people in india don't have so they are leapfrogging it and and what you will see is the speed of innovation or their ability to experiment with certain ideas is very different and and i'm seeing that that 
in certain spaces, not all, in certain spaces, acceleration that we see in China or acceleration we see in India is of a unique type. Some of this is geopolitical. So are China and America competing with each other to create better AI? Possibly. In a healthy way, that's a good thing. In a bad way, I don't want to talk about it. Uh, but I think I get fascinated by that healthy way of doing things. And I have seen this come up where progress of a certain geopolitical entity, the, the hunger of its population to get better at things that they aspire to be, exemplified well by India where I started my career. And I see the journey rise where innovations first came on service delivery side, the associated infrastructure and capabilities to where now you see products, where you now see product-based services coming in, in from that country. And if you look around in Bay Area or the Bay Area startups, number of CEOs who are of a certain heritage is astonishing that there is a certain cultural confluence that has happened. In my mind, eventually it's one big innovation village and the, the opportunities will cross-pollinate and create themselves. But there are differences in what comes up as we see today. Curiously absent in your fascinating comments just now was anything about Europe. What's your take on Europe? Part of it is I have not spent as much time as I would like to be in Europe. Uh, so I don't have a Parisian fascination, for example, as, as one uh, speaks. But I think inherently Europe, geographically speaking, it is in the middle of the two. Europe is somewhat like that. There is Western adventurism that is very visible in European startup ecosystems. It's probably more visible in, say, Scandinavian countries when I look at Finnish startup ecosystem or uh, what I have seen in Sweden. In comparison, some of the core European countries show slightly lesser innovation as I see it. This is Prasad's personal lens, no other uh, commentary on it. Uh, on the same vein, I would also say that I have personally been inspired by Israel. And, and I have seen, I have many, many friends whose roots, just like mine, are from India. Theirs are from Israel. I worked with them as partners, collaborators in uh, where, where I've spent my, most of my career time in the U.S., and that's a completely different feel altogether. I, I think it's culturally fitted into what Israel is and how that country grew up, uh, just like India was and my experiences are or what Bay Area is and I spent some time on it. That's another fascinating place where the way they do innovation or the way they bring their startups to life is, is something very different. You mentioned a village of innovation, a global village. What does that really mean? Is it possible for all these remote places that are working more or less face-to-face -to, -face to somehow be distributed for these larger companies? Is there a way to get a handle on that? I think so. I think uh, I tend to believe in uh, this notion of world is flat and how opportunities that got created over a period of time started to flatten the gaps or sort of filled up the valleys or uh, allowed people to climb the same, same peaks that were otherwise felt as too high. Open source, for example, is a movement of that kind. Uh, it's a significant technology shift. I grew up as a Microsoft architect, and, and, and as a typical Microsoft believer, I felt that's the best thing. Second half of my career, I've seen the evolution of open source and a great flattening that happens as a result of it because barrier to entry in using open source as well as contributing to open source is a significant trend of that kind that, that can level up things and allow creative minds to create it as, as one single entity and, and nurture the overall growth of innovation. And that's where I think my emphasis is, it's one innovation village. Some corners are more fertile, they have more gardens and flowers. Some corners may look like they're deserts as we speak today. 
but we both are sitting in phoenix and we know the beauty of desert as we know uh, we're going to go for a desert carnival uh, in in a few mm-hmm. hours so it's going to come together that's one segment the geographical piece there's another i believe maybe it's socioeconomic that because of all these wonderful things that are happening with technology and the innovation in this village that maybe there's a bifurcation there are these two levels the people that either are benefiting from it have access to it and are like i said benefiting and the ones that either don't know don't have the access or somehow the code is being you know, left behind what's your comment on maybe what you see out there and can we can we do something to mitigate that i think in many ways i've lived both sides of what you're describing uh when i grew up and i became an engineer a software engineer an architect i was in that impoverished sense of the word in 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 that way uh, and then overnight literally 24 hours of flight and i came to a world that is rich and and aspiring and that dreamy side of the story what i have seen is the dreamers on both sides have very identical trends they believe in their systems they believe that the world can be changed they believe that things will move and they are not constrained by the resources that they have they will find ways to overcome the resources uh, in in a situation where it's impoverished in a certain way for example economically i have found for example ways to get myself educated trained figure out ways and today something like online education which allows people to have access to the best courses best material to feed themselves and nourish intellectually speaking is unique and that's a change that we see likewise some of the so called developed entities struggle with concepts of privacy security and and will that stifle innovation for example what is the role of patents is patents a good thing or is patents a bad thing is china a bad place because they don't respect patents is how we see it here from american eyes or is america the bad place because under the name of patents drugs are so expensive i think it's it's a social dilemma that will sort itself out as a technologist as an innovator what i believe is look at the good things that each of these offers me and then leverage it if we put a specific lens in what you just said uh, i've been doing some work with the united nations in some of these sustainable development goals and it's fascinating to me to map the things we do day to day in business to these higher aspirations how do you see these emerging technologies and managing them for the good of all uh playing out with sustainability with education with equality and you know, poverty and hunger and all these very noble goals that the UN development goals are trying to do i think if you look around i have had opportunity to work with some of the clinton foundation initiatives on sustainability Uh, i have observed and read and i have a personal interest in for example what bill and melinda gates foundation is doing and they're not quite the same levels as un for example but are addressing something very very similar in my mind technology is a great enabler as well i talked about flatner uh, and and we talked about a little bit of these peaks and valleys but ability to create technology that is in the right hands thereby changing the way the world can do things I'll take a esoteric example here on purpose. There is a certain sentiment around nuclear technology. But today's nuclear technology or at least what I have read about it in terms of the how compact it can get, what does what happens to the fuel that comes out of it and our wastage that comes out of it, what can be contained and so on. There is a certain social element to it and there is a certain technology and innovation element to it. If I look at technology and innovation element to it, it can possibly solve world's power problems. 
not just that it can solve world's power problems it can make it available at a dollar value or a affordability index that simply did not exist few years ago is it ready should we be deploying it there are lots of challenges issues facets that we will need to di- discuss debate to take something that innovative and make it applicable and i think that's the thinking process that needs to evolve as we look at challenges that are global scale challenges that are world peace world hunger nature and and apply the innovation at that that scale now i'd like to ask the question that i'm sure has been on the mind of anyone listening given that you're focusing on emerging technologies what are the emerging technologies that you find most interesting and you think will make the biggest impact in the next several years while i get the spirit of question that's a very hard question the way i tend to take a look at it is it's about buskin robbins i love ice cream it doesn't matter which flavor it comes in i love innovation i love technology i can give you a temporal answer i can say that blockchain augmented reality virtual reality 5g are things that excite me today i would have said the same thing in 2008 about cloud computing today i don't talk about cloud computing it's vanilla ice cream everybody is using cloud computing cloud first mobile first every enterprise architect today is talking about it and is going in i think this is what innovation is about that your ability to sense what is it that i have your ability to take the existing ice creams and blend them to create the new flavor is where the innovation is all about I don't think there is anything that says this I'll make a few bets but I don't think this is a case of I love ice cream is really the answer. What's your approach or framework to evaluate some of the new things that are coming to get in your funnel? I think at the foundational level we start tracking a lot of trends. So so there is no bias about individual biases may creep in but there is no real bias in my team for example when we do these debates as to what's new and exciting. We remain impartial we look at for example something as simple as what is google search index telling me in terms of popularity of some of these keywords for example we found one system called human augmentation in in today's context it sounds big and 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 has trendy name each one of us has been augmented you are wearing glasses i am wearing glasses and seeing world clearly we are augmented humans Uh, but now look at higher order augmentation that technologies can bring in and and that's where the term human augmentation was picked up but we pick up these trends we look at what is working what are what is likely to be popular and then we plot a sort of and and this is something that we have evolved in infosys context particularly uh, there is one way to say what is here and now the time centric view here and now mid term long term instead of time centric view for especially as the digital became a rapidly evolving option time became irrelevant what became more relevant is business maturity or business uncertainty and technology maturity or technology uncertainty it's glass half filled or full uh, kind of a view so we started looking at technology landscape in these two dimensions what is the business maturity what is the technology maturity and something that is highly mature and something that is uh, readily available business and technology maturity being of that type we call it horizon 1 needs to be done here and now if i was to use a, a time scale to it what we are also seeing is the gray zone of this maturity index is very fascinating and part of it is in the way people see things so when i say ai a set of people will see this as it's very trendy or oh, you're working on ai some of pe- some of the people will say that oh but i thought ai is everywhere and i think it's the zone in between so if i look at in our industry what is happening with rpa i would start to call it as horizon 2 horizon 1 uh, in in some sense it's here and now or mid term 
But if I look at computer vision, if I look at sentiment analysis over voice, uh, and then uh, many times we de- use these exclamations, which you and me as human beings absolutely understand that it is not a good sentiment. But if I convert that into text, it's a very positive sentiment. Computers don't understand it today. And that's the element of AI, that's an element of cognition that is trendy. It's on the uh, uncertain side of the story, business and technology-wise. Uh, RPA is more, it's more mature, both technology and business-wise. And that's the calibration that we tend to use to say what is likely to hit, what, where should I make my educated bets in order to see a certain view. And of course, there are also what is the market size, what is the addressable market space, the traditional terms that we typically would use to see if this is the right investment that I want to take on. What we have also done is organized our services portfolio, for example, on somewhat similar lines. I look look at more of the Horizon 3 services where there is a lot of experimentation. Are the dollars really there or not? Create the proof points. And then there are these new services, Horizon 2 services, or there are the mainstay core bulk revenue earner services. That's how I think we see the realm emerging and marrying. And I think earlier you had asked me the chasm. How do you make trends move into something that makes tons of dollars? What's the filter? This is another of those filters where we see the technologies moving from the funnel. What are the two or three pieces of advice you can give to someone out there who's trying to build an organization like this? What to do, what not to do, pitfalls? First and foremost, bring in diversity. Diversity in the way people look, diversity in the way people think, diversity in what people are educated on. My team, for example, is comprised of design engineers, highly, highly branded universities. There are a few of them. I also have people from community colleges in my U.S. hubs. So so it's important to get that kind of uh, diversity in place. Second, create a culture of experimentation. If you are a leader and you want to lead your innovation uh, ideology, culture of experimentation is absolutely important. Without that experimentation, without that fearless approach to say, I'm going to try this, doesn't matter what the outcome is, the fact that I tried it is more important to show a result is crucial. And then hold your innovators accountable for what they do is relevant to a stakeholder. Stakeholder could be your internal employees, stakeholder could be your client. But having that relevance, having their idea anchored, validated by that stakeholder is the third thing that I would put in. Diversity, experimentation, anchor it. You've been in this business for a while, I want to ask you to say how many years, yet you, you have all this energy and focus. How do you retain this passion over time? It comes when you bring diversity and you have a 21-year-old in your workforce who keeps you on your toes, it's infectious. Highly infectious, the way people bring the energy together and allow you to remain fresh. Who or what has has been a big influence on your career? It's a bit emotional. My father. I think he had uh, a significant influence. There are a few sports personalities. There was a TED Talk a few years back and uh, talked about evolution of cricket and what that has done to some of us. Uh, I've been, I made that journey myself, so that's an influencing factor. Some of the cricketers that I grew up with, including some of the modern ones, like the current Indian captain, uh, they have been a significant influence of what it means to innovate at all times, what it means to create different business models. Uh, I don't want to get started on cricket, but cricket today is delivered on three business models, and they're very unique. 
uh, that's that's the inspiration that i could uh, draw upon then i have my business leaders uh, i was uh, m- mentored by a technology architect who eventually became uh, one of our uh, large software houses in india's uh, cto uh, he taught me what it means to take care of people who are always innovating how do you give that freedom it's easy for me today to stand up and say allow culture of experimentation he was the one who taught me what does it mean to do it uh so so that that comes to my mind and then some of the business leaders uh, i have been fascinated by the journey of microsoft it felt like microsoft was losing its sight for a period of time but my belief system was always saying me and i used to tell this to my associates at that time that they'll get it right and that's what we see they got it right eventually the company is there and that's the leader that you see in in, in exemplified in a corporate world that they get it right so some of them are personal some of them are sports personalities or entertainment personalities some of them are and some of these entertainment personalities actually have helped me go through some of the tough times with their songs and and their narratives and the stories and and things like that but it's a combination of these things that makes a person whole well that's that's the embodiment of diversity thanks for sharing that and in the show notes we'll have uh had a contact prasad with his email and everything else thank you so much for your time Uh, it's been a very highly interesting discussion. Everyone, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute, where we talk with experts on business trends, deconstruct the main ideas, and share their insights. Thanks to our producer Catherine Burdett and the entire Knowledge Institute production team. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing. <laughs>